how are you feeling? I'm so full. Ah, uh, yeah? Why is that? Because you treated me to a very lovely lunch, but there was so much food. Well, that is why I'm having my coffee. By the way, where is it? Ah, here <laughs> it is. Mm, coffee. Coffee is good for you. It's waking you up. Yep, I think I'm just going to go into a food coma. I didn't realize that the lasagna was that big. It, it wasn't that big, but it was just so yummy, and it's, it's the afternoon. I've had my lunch. I think it's time to have a siesta. <laughs> okay, well, it is interesting that the Spanish guy here doesn't want to have a siesta. I want to talk about the things that we are going to be talking about today. And the Australian young, energetic girl, <laughs> here she is, asking for please having a break and having a siesta. I like my naps. <laughs> okay, and now I am the grown-up. Hi, I'm Kirsten Banks. And I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the Scientist. Okay, everyone, welcome to our final 12th episode of this season. Of the season, don't of be scared. Season. We will continue providing more episodes for all of you to enjoy our great voices, particularly mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we might have a half-half. People like your voice more, people like my voice more. Well, I was joking about my absolutely awful <laughs> English voice. Anyway. No, your voice is fantastic. Oh, well, thank you. But you are too kind to me because you are full of food. <laughs> Leave the food out of this. <laughs> okay, well, let's go to be serious for a moment because yes. we have been saying silly things for the last two minutes. Yes. So, feedback right feedback. into it. Good. First things first, we do have a question from Peter on Twitter. Does the center of rotation at the top of the large Magellanic cloud imply a mass concentration in that area? Do we know if there is? And if so, what it is? Now, this is based on an A-pod or astronomy picture of the day. Yes. A um, picture from... Uh, on the 16th, 16th of May, 2018. 16th of May. So, and you can, you might post it or you can go find it. Uh, on the 16th of May, the A-pod, it is of the large red cloud. And using the Gaia data, it's shown us a very accurate kind of star trail image. And the star trails are showing the way that the stars are rotating around the large Magadanic cloud. Yes. I have, no, I have not seen this imagery before, well, perhaps because I have been so busy with observing and mm -hmm. other things that we have discussed in the previous episode that we recorded just a couple of hours ago or less than that. Anyway, but um, I found it really interesting because, as you well said, it is using the data from the Gaia satellite that we were discussing uh, two episodes ago. Mm. And it is giving you a very good idea of how the stars are moving in the large Magellanic cloud. But I have to say that although it seems that it is coming from the, the main part of the rotation, of the center of the rotation of the Magellanic cloud is, is coming from the top part of the large Magellanic cloud, mm. it is not exactly from there. It is from the end of the central bar that the large Magellanic cloud has. We have to remember that this galaxy it is a dwarf galaxy. Mm. It is so it doesn't behave quite 
the same as no. large galaxies. No, no, no. And, and it is different because it's a small galaxy, a dwarf galaxy, and not only it's difficult to have a clear rotation pattern, and that happens in other many dwarf galaxies, but on top of that, this galaxy is in interaction with both the small Magellanic Cloud and also the Milky Way. Mm. And that is why it is just difficult to really understand the movement of stars and gas uh, as we see them right now in this particular moment in the complex between the large Magellanic Cloud and the small Magellanic Cloud. Yes. So it's difficult to see. So perhaps what we are seeing there, it is a combination of several movements. Mm. Of course, there should be some kind of rotation of, of the stars around, I will not say the center, but the central parts of the large Magellanic Cloud. But these uh, stars, the movements have been distorted because of the iteration with the other galaxies, the small Magellanic Cloud and the, and the Milky Way. That's right. That's why when we're doing calculations with movements of things in the universe, we don't just consider two objects like we did with the Earth and the Moon last episode with the barycenter. There are lots of other interactions going on. It's a, an infinitely many body system that exactly. we really have to consider here. And on top of that, we have to remember that everything is happening also with the dark matter that is the main part of the gravity in, mm. in galaxies and tracing the potential wealth of the dark matter halos it is still not trivial when you are embedded into the Milky Way halo of this object, so something like that. So it's not that uh, it's easy. Not a, it's not a very easy question to answer. There's not, a, there's not a definitive answer of if there is mass concentrated around what seems to be a central point in that photo. You have to consider everything that we've talked about just now, it's like everything that's going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. It was a very interesting question, by the way, and thank you for noticing that nice image. That is, mm. uh, It is indeed providing extra information about what is happening in this nearby dwarf galaxy. That's right. Okay, moving on to some more feedback. If you look up in the night sky, particularly in Sydney recently... Because we are going to be talking particularly about what is happening in Sydney, I think... Mm. You may notice that there's uh, some weird lights... Light in the, the sky. sky. Mm. As we were talking uh, some few episodes ago. Mm. Okay. But not not the weird lights in the sky from before. Instead, these are countless spotlights up in the night sky. And it's for the Vivid Festival. The Festival of Light in Sydney happens once every year in late May to June period. And um, what, what's your opinion on Vivid this year? Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The first thing to say it is that we actually organize an event for Vivid Sydney. Mm. So that is why I should try to be content in my feeling. A bit reserved in the criticisms that may arise. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like pollution at the end. So mm. let's see. The idea it is just illuminating buildings and having the light as main guide of the star of this kind of festival and that is perfectly fine mm. i really so this festival that have been for the last 10 11 years i have enjoyed a lot the projections that they are using on top of the sydney opera house and, and yes. in other buildings mm. very original very interesting with some few music moving around mm. that that is great and many of the sculptures and games and pieces of art that mm. they have been preparing and installing in the streets around the rocks in mm. the center of, of Sydney. There's even a huge earth globe 
light thing um, at the overseas terminal. Oh, I had not seen that. In the rocks. Mm. Okay. It's quite cool. It is interesting and it's also good and it is an excellent uh, idea, I think, mm. for getting people visiting Sydney in this particular time of the of the year when, well, it, it is starting to be cold because it is starting to be winter, although it is not winter yet. No, not yet. <laughs> and believe, believe us, because, and that is an extra thing that we have to say, we are still in autumn mm. in the southern hemisphere. Yes. And the same way we are still in the spring in the northern hemisphere because seasons are defined by astronomy. Yes, they are. It is defined by four very, well, technically three, I guess. Technically three astronomical events. The June solstice. I'm not going to say winter or summer because it's both, yeah, exactly. depending on which uh, hemisphere uh, you're in. Now I like to say that way too, the mm-hmm. June solstice or but, the December solstice. Yep, so you got those two. And then the equinox, which is, there's two of them in the year, of course, but it's, it's the same the thing. September, September and the March. And the March, yes. So... The June solstice will be the start of winter in the Southern Hemisphere and the start of summer in the Northern Hemisphere, based Mm. on astronomy. Yes, because that will be the moment in which the sun is reaching its highest altitude in the Northern Hemisphere, Mm. at the moment of the midday. It is when the sun is in that position, and it is just after that it's going to be going 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 back down till getting in the equator of the celestial sphere mm-hmm. and that will be in the moment that we have the equinoxes yes. exactly when the sun it is over the celestial equator mm-hmm. and then continue going down and down and down till reaching the southernmost point in the sky and that will be the moment of the December solstice that it will be the beginning of the summer in Mm. the southern hemisphere and the beginning of the winter in the northern hemisphere. Yes, so no matter how cold and rainy it is today when we're recording, I'm still in denial. It's not winter yet. So for those of you who are listening from the southern hemisphere, winter is coming, really, with the June solstice happening on Thursday 21st of June 2018, exactly at 8.07 p.m. For Sydney time, that will be the real moment in which the sun will reach its highest point north, being the moment of the June sorties. There you go. I would have done what uh, I would have finished my second exam on the 21st of June, and I can celebrate winter on my third exam. Good. Uh, It will be very interesting also to talk in another moment about the calendar and how some festivities, for example, Christmas Mm. or Easter, Easter. uh, we talk a bit about Easter in in one episode, are Mm. related to uh, the seasons and the movement of the sun and the moon and so on. Mm. But anyway, I jumped from talking about BBC to talk about something that I like to emphasize a lot here in Australia, because Australia and New Zealand are the only countries in the world, as far as I know, that they are counting the beginning of the seasons with the beginning of the calendar month. Wow. Which is wrong. That is wrong. It's it's like where the imperial metric, you know, you got yeah. everyone uses the metric system and then only very select countries use the imperial system. It's like where the imperial system of the weather. Something like that, yeah. It's not so good. You did it very well, changing from miles to kilometers. 
when was that in the uh, before the, the second well war. before my time no, well, <laughs> well before your time yeah but uh, well perhaps eventually it will change although um, many australian climatologists are really defending that seasons are you know coming from the month and that is the way it is said, explained, and discussed in the web pages of the Bureau of Meteorology of the Australian government. Right. And I guess they have the final say well, Anyway, in this case. Um, there is an state in the US where, by law, Pluto is still a planet. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. I don't remember the name of the state. Wyoming. I don't know. The, I have the, to check. Anyway. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> You can say whatever you want. <laughs> These things are given by nature. Yes. Anyway, forget anyway, so about that. Forget vivid, about that. Vivid, vivid is a winter festival. The winter festival. Of light. In autumn. With a lot of light. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, let's go to... We have started good saying about this uh, situation with uh, the season in Australia. And now mm. we are starting to say nice things about the Vivid Festival with the lights as they are emitting all that much amount of light during this period of time from mm. the city centre, from all around um, the city. As I was saying before, the idea uh, originally I think it is nice and it is good, but I have been noticing that in the last few years there have been a lot of increasing in the light pollution and the kind of lightning that they are using for illuminating mm. not the buildings, but the sky. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Nope, nope. I'm starting now. I can't stop. So <sighs> just uh, to give you the idea, as I was invited to this opening there in, in, in Circular Key, the very day that the festival started a couple of weeks ago, or some few days ago, and the, we were in the roof in the terrace just having a look of all those beams of light crossing mm. Circular Key. And it is already hard to see a stars from the city center. Well, it was starting to be really hard. And what was the function, the real function of all those lights? Make To make me mad? Because you were at Sydney Observatory. I was, oh, all of us, all of us at Sydney Observatory, we have a bit of a saying. We like Vivid when we're down experiencing Vivid, you know, walking along the, the foreshore yeah. of Circular Quay, mm. When we're up the at the observatory, we hate it. Oh my goodness! I remember I was working. I think it was the opening night. I was working on the Friday, and I had gone outside to use one of our portable telescopes, um, and I was looking at Jupiter with the telescope, and I was looking through, making sure it's nice and focused and everything, ready for people to come have a look through. And there was just this periodic flash of light. They were just coming over Jupiter. Yeah, coming yeah. over Jupiter. I was like, mm, this is not ideal. And it is important this because, again, we don't realize how bad we are illuminating our cities. Mm. And it is the increasing problem of the light pollution. Mm. Australia is very lucky because the majority of the territory is dark and it's still yes. quite pristine. Although in the East Coast, it's starting to be not that good. I yeah. think to remember for the statistics from the latest paper released a couple of years ago of the maps of the light pollution worldwide, that it is interesting to see that around 80% of the population in Australia mm. are living within relatively high contaminated light polluted area, Yeah, which is bad. But on the other hand, 
in the moment you drive 100 kilometers or 50 kilometers even uh, into mm. the interior, you can have very nice skies. Yes. Yes, you which can. Which is something that you can't do in Europe. No. Or in Asia, in China, India, and all those countries still, they also have a lot of light pollution. Mm. And particularly also not able to do that in the US, specifically in the east part of the US, because yep. it's just too much light pollution. You can't even see the Milky Way, which is very sad. No, well, actually, I remember a funny story. Apparently, one a major city in America had a citywide blackout once, and it happened to be a clear night, and people were calling 911 to... Uh, complaining about how there's mysterious clouds in the sky. Oh, no, UFOs. But it was just the Milky Way. It was just the Milky Way. So we have to take a bit of conscience about that. And at the end of the day, many times when we are talking about the light pollution, we try not to say, well, we are astronomers and we want to observe the sky and we need all the lights off and blah, 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 or Mm. whatever. Um, That is not going to get us very far. No. And, and okay, okay it's, it is one of the reasons, of course, but I want to insist that it is not only another way of polluting our Earth, our planet, that uh, we are realizing that uh, there are many problems in the biorhythms and changes in the, into the circadian rhythm. The internal way that we control and we know what time of the day it is, mm. but also affecting the natural fauna, and, and the plants. Yes. We are starting to have very alarming studies about how bad the influence of the light that we are illuminating mm. excessively, almost everything is having in our environment. Mm. Well, it's really interesting because on a, on a cloudy night, we often point the telescope at the Australian flag on top of the bridge so you can you know, see the stars on the flag. Get yeah, it? good. Stars. Good. That is a good one. But when you're looking at the bridge, you can see what looks like insects. Or say it's it's say that the the top of the um, bridge is like a lamppost for lots of moths that would attract of to course, the light. Of course, people think it's bats, but it's actually seagulls. Seagulls that are yeah. still awake because of the light. Because of the light pollution, and yeah. it is detrimental to their health. And there are studies in turtles, and there are mm. studies in many other animals, in insects, starting to be also too, because insects, many of them are attracted to the ultraviolet or the bright bright mm. light. Um, in the recent years, we saw the changes to the lead illumination, that yep. they are even worse than the previous one, because they are providing plenty of blue light, yes. and the blue light is the, the worst. There is a very good example for you to check that, because many of you probably will have a smartphone, mm-hmm. and you will have the night mode, and yes. the night mode, what it's doing is it's trying to filter out the majority of the blue light, mm. because that is the blue light, it is affecting you. It will be much more difficult for you to try to keep uh, sleepy, yes. to get to your kind of rhythm that you need for your rest. Mm. and your sleep, that you really need to, to do that every day for working properly. That's right. I guess it probably goes back to primitive days when there were no artificial light. You'd have your blue daytime sky, and then as the sun goes down, it starts to get redder and redder, more orange, and, and, the dark. Be, and then you have the darkness and, and you'd and, be sleeping. And the dark. And that is also, perhaps it is also one of the reasons why we are living in an accelerating, crazy, fast civilization mm. in which everything is happening so fast and the news that are news today in two or three days are just all history mm. basically that but i'm not only finishing there the huge amount of money 
that everyone, everyone, because that money is coming from our taxes, are using all the cities, all the towns, personally in our buildings, just to illuminate the skies, it is ridiculously huge. Mm. It is just a lot of money that we can use for doing something else, and we are not spending stupidly that money, illuminating the clouds, or yes. illuminating the sky, or just for getting the, these very nice images from the satellites, just showing all the lights of the Earth. Mm. That is not right. No. No, it's not. Well, there are all these negative things about Vivid. There well, was quite a big positive on... Def definitely. And let, yes. me, let me finish one, one little extra thing. No, I don't want mm. to sound bad about the Vivid. I want to insist that I like a lot the idea. I yes. like a lot the concept. And it is also a bit of an excuse to talk about the light pollution. Mm. I understand, or we understand that sometimes for special occasions we can illuminate the sky in a special way. Mm. A nice example, it is the New Year's Eve. It's everything crazy. Well... What we are going to say. It's a kind of a celebration. Mm. But it is a good idea also to think carefully about the way we use the light and we illuminate uh, everything and spending that kind of, of money. And that is my kind of critique mm. to the Vivid Festival at the moment. But, but we had a great time on the 3rd of June for a Vivid Festival hosted by yours truly and organised by... Yours truly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that is the history of light. Mm. So that is a kind of event that we have been running as part of Vivid Festival for the last four years here at the AEO, the Australian Astronomical Observatory. It was an idea that we had precisely for connecting the importance of the light to understand the universe, because that is the way we have for knowing how the planets are working, or the stars, or distant galaxies. The mm. only way we have it is analyzing the light that we receive from these objects. Of course, not that much from the planets. We can still send a spacecraft, and now with the discovery of the gravitational waves, where there is an extra way of doing that, or even if we are using neutrinos, that is another way, mm. but still. The huge majority of the information we collect from the universe, it is coming from light. And with that idea, it is when we started in 2015 this connection with Vivid Sydney and Vivid Sydney's idea at the Powerhouse Museum here in Sydney. The history of light. So mm. how we can connect that light with uh, the universe and also the work that we do here at the Australian Astronomical Observatory regarding instruments that able to collect and to analyze the faint light that we are receiving from the distant universe. That's right. So we were, we, the two of us were joined by three other great leading astrophysicists. We had the great Fred Watson come along and talk to us about the history of the AAT, which was fantastic. Although I did see a photo in his presentation of someone putting their hands on the mirror. Now, I, I was just a bit shocked. <laughs> yes, no, the fingerprints. No. But you remember what Fred mm. told you after that. Oh. We had very special hands, apparently. Yeah, very special hands, yes. Mm. And then we had Sarah Martell, one of my lecturers at University of New South Wales, come along and talk to us about galactic archaeology, which you had to be there to hear. It was a fantastic speech, um, talking about how they're basically like Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. That was a very good concept mm. for a start of the presentation. Very good indeed. 
And then, of course, we had the wonderful Angel Lopez Sanchez. Ah, yeah, that was me. Yes, yes. So I was talking about connecting our galaxy to the universe in the sense of first showing a bit of uh, the very beautiful color images that were obtained at 80 by David Malin. It mm. was the real beginning of the color imaging in, in astronomy. Particularly tried to emphasize how one of those images really impacted me when I was a kid. The one with the circumpolar stars around the, the dome of the Anglo-Australian telescope. Mm. I will never forget that. Beautiful. Beautiful. And using those images to explain the different kind of nebula and stars and star formation regions and supernova remnant and so on to connect into what we are doing right now at the AT, dissecting galaxies and getting um, very large surveys of galaxies into five billion light years in the distance. And what are our plans for the future? So after you, we heard from Chris Lidman, who is now the director of Siding Spring Observatory, uh, now owned by ANU, yes. about the cosmology and distant galaxies using the AAT, which I thought was fantastic. The demonstration he made of showing us how to measure redshift or explaining redshift and the expansion of the universe was quite fantastic, getting up three very keen volunteers from the audience, which is awesome to see. It was really, really nice. And one of the volunteers that was doing the role of the photon. Mm. She was only, how old? Eight? Probably. She was very young. Eight, ten. And her hand just shot straight up when he asked for volunteers. In fact, we had too many volunteers. Mm -hmm. He had to pick and choose. But uh, yeah, it was all around a very exciting event. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed hosting it and playing the role of Alan Duffy. (laughs) You did a great job of hosting it. So congratulations again for that now here in the public. So it was it was really nice, and hopefully we will have another of this event coming next year for mm. the new 2019 BBC New Ideas. Hopefully, hopefully indeed. The other thing I would like to mention it is that this was the almost last event of the AO as it is now. Tell us about what's Be- going on. Uh, because uh, the AO is going into some few changes at the moment. The AO it is the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And it's going to be very different from what it was or what it is to what is going to be in, in starting the 1st of July. Mm. That is a bit of a long, long, long story in the last year or so because Australia joined ESO, the European Southern Observatory, not exactly as a full member, but mm. as a strategic partner. Yes. And and that is very important. If you don't know ESO, it is a 15-nation organization that has some of the world's best optical astronomical infrastructure, mainly in Chile, mm. with some few other centers uh, around uh, around Europe mainly. So, for example, Spain is a member of, of ESO. That is, of course, excellent for Australian astronomers uh, and also for the people that are building instruments here at, at the AO and in other parts of Australia because it's providing a great way of collaborating with ESO scientists and technicians trying to solve the big question of the universe and also design and construct new generation telescope and in some way also get a bit of influence in the long-term global investment in astronomy over mm. the, the next few years. Yes. So I, I think to remember that the total investment that the uh, Australian government is doing for moving Australian into ESO as a, a partnership 
It is around 129 million Australian dollars. During it's a solid amount of money. Yeah, during the next uh, few few years, then decade or so. So that induces changes in the way that the AO is managed. Mm. Uh, because the AO, so far, the Australian Astronomical Observatory, it is a division of the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science of the Australian government. Yes. Um, for doing this, of Australian being a strategic partner for ESO, the Australian government asked the universities to take charge of the AAO. And that is what is going to happen from the 1st of July. But it's not going to be the same institution as we know it. Because in some way we are going to break it in two different things. Mm. The Anglo-Australian Telescope will be part of a consortium of Australian universities led by the Australian National University. Right. The staff who are right now working at the AO part in Kunabalabran as part of the AAT, mm-hmm. they will move to be part of ANU, managing the telescope from there. And that, that makes sense, in all honesty, because pretty much all of, almost all of the other telescopes on that hill, mountain rather, yeah. Yeah, are owned by the ANU. Which is good. And yeah. that is also the reason why this new role of Silent Spring Director have been mm-hmm. recently created. And Chris yes. Lidman, who have been working at the AO for the last uh, eight years or so, mm-hmm. was appointed as a new director of this uh, new kind of observatory just to have um, better management of the science but also the other circumstances involving uh, managing a, a large observatory mm. there in Kunabara. I feel like the, the synergy of the entire place would really be increased by that now that everything is organised by the one institution and it's all one big happy family of telescopes. Exactly. And Chris, it is... I will say one of the best persons to lead this kind of definitely because without he, a doubt he is absolutely great as an astronomer but also as managing uh, managing people and managing resources. Yes, so that is good. On the other part, the people like me that are working here in in Sydney, we are going to move into a consortium of universities led by Macquarie University. Ah. That is going to be also in partnership with ANU and the University of Sydney. But at the end of the day, we are going to be part of Macquarie University. Our new um, the, the salary and our new boss is going to be mm. Macquarie University. Which I think it's, it's quite good as well because it's just, just around the corner, basically, from here. Yeah, no, definitely. It is just around the corner. It is just only five kilometers away, which mm. is around the corner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, that, uh, that's good. Uh, we are very excited about that, uh, about the uh, new opportunities that are going to be created and the uh, new projects are going to be coming because thanks to our connection now with the ESO countries and, and with uh, telescopes in Chile, uh, we hope that we will be able to provide many more instruments to these big telescopes and help to facilitate all this science, the analysis of the science that we are going to collect with these new instruments and telescope tubes, some of them. Yes. So that, that, that is good. I couldn't help myself just to mention that because that will be also the last episode that we are recording, not, not only in this season, but mm. also as, as a whole, uh, as a whole mm. AAO, Australian Astronomical Observatory. Yes. At this moment, and I'm talking, we are recording this on the 5th of June, mm-hmm. we still don't know exactly what is going to be the name, for example, that we are going to get in the new uh, division as part of Macquarie University. So probably keeping the AAO 
the 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 acronym, mm. but not sure yet exactly what it's going to be. I'm sure all good things will come from it. And knowing astronomers, we'll probably if we don't use the AAO, we'll come up with some other funny acronym. Yeah, we hope that too. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that that's good. That's good. So exciting for that new stage that is going to open and for the first of July. Although I'm going to be away. Angel's <laughs> <laughs> running away. <laughs> I'm running away. No, but that was something that I already planned some time ago because I, there are some few conferences in happening in in Europe that I'm going to be attending to, and and also well, from time to time it is good to take holidays. I agree. I agree. Okay. Well. We have gone on for a little while, but we still need to do WhatsApp because WhatsApp is my favorite yes, section yes, so. to do every single time. And WhatsApp now is a pretty awesome planet, Saturn. Saturn, that Ooh. is my favorite planet of all. Well, who wouldn't love it? It's it's so great. It's got a ring on it. Yeah, the rings, but also watching at least Titan, one of the satellites, sometimes Rhea too seeing those beautiful rings and the mm. shadows of the rings sometimes oh. over the disk of the planet and how the ring is changing from year to year because of the different orientation. That's right. It's so nice. So a quick tip, if you want to see the rings of Saturn, don't try and look at them in the year 2025. Yep, because, because in 2025... They will be flat. They will be very flat. And the reason why we won't see them is, well, because they will be flat, but also... They're very, very thin. They're mm-hmm. only about 10 meters thick. Or so, thin, rather. <laughs> I very like that you start saying that because sometimes I'm trying to do the analogy of how the, the thickness of the, of the rings of Saturn mm. with the length of the rings, if we try to compare that with a piece of paper, mm. with a piece of paper to have the same proportion that the rings of Saturn, you have to have with the same thickness of a piece of paper, a paper that is coming, starting in Sydney and getting more or less to Perth. Wow. Something like that in proportion. Wow. With a hole in the middle with Saturn. With, of course, yes. <laughs> but still, still, wow. Wow. Imagine the thickness of a single piece of paper. Stretched from Sydney from to Perth. to Perth. But just by the way, that distance is more or less the diameter of the moon. Yeah, more or less. In in Spain or in Europe, I will say, well, it is like you have that piece of paper going from Cadiz, which is at the southwest of Spain, mm-hmm. till Moscow. Wow. Which is in, yeah, in, in Russia. In Russia. Russia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something like that. Wow. That is insane. Well, you know that you can fit Australia inside Europe without any problem. Oh, this is very true. This yeah, is very, so. very true. Now, another little fun fact about Saturn, which I was going to mention in the our little fun intro, but I forgot to mention it because I was just so tired and uh, food came up. I've suddenly felt a lot lighter now and I feel like I'm quite so light that I'm as light as Saturn and I could float on water (laughs) because Saturn can actually, if you were to get a big enough body of water that's hypothetically big enough that you could immerse Saturn into it, Saturn would actually float. Because? Because of its density mm-hmm. so that it's while it is a massive planet the density of the planet is lower than water i believe so it can I actually think, float on water i think it is 0. 0.7 around, mm. around 0. 0.7 but i'm saying that on top of my mind so please just double check it we can 
You can correct us if you like. Yes, please, because, you know, they're starting to jump again into talking about something that I don't really remember. <laughs> it is a planet in some way similar to Jupiter, a gas giant, although it has less than one-third of Jupiter's mass. So still, although it is a big planet, it is not as big as Jupiter. That's right. And I've just quickly checked. The mean density is 0.687 grams per cubic centimetre. 0.7. There you go. About 0.7. Which, by the way, this is from Wikipedia too. Underneath that, it says in pounds per cubic inch. But below that, also in brackets, less than water. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So what else can we say about Saturn? First, where is it Saturn at the moment? Up in the sky. Up in the sky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> very, very funny. <laughs> At the moment, Saturn, specifically where in the sky, it's in the constellation of Sagittarius right mm-hmm. now. So I find that I can see the Scorpion a lot easier than Sagittarius, but it's you can find it below the Scorpion. Yeah, you have a problem to find Sagittarius, the constellation from here, because mm. it is full of stars. And it you is. have Sagittarius coming to the Senate with the center of the Milky Way, and it is mm. just very difficult to identify individual stars around there, even though they're brighter stars yes. that you can, for example, easily see from another part of the world, but you don't see the Milky Way that much. Yes, that's right. I, I usually, because Sagittarius, the body and kind of, because Sagittarius is a, is a centaur with a long, kind of, kind of holding a an bow and arrow. Um, the body and bow and arrow part kind of looks like a teapot. The teapot, yes. The so teapot I, of Sagittarius. I, I can... Depending on which way I angle look, my head and, and look and at the she sky. she's doing that at the moment, yeah. moving the head from one part to the other. Yes, I'm a very visual person when I talk. <laughs> I, I can sometimes see the teapot. So if you look up towards the teapot mm-hmm. at the moment with some binoculars or a small telescope, you will see Saturn, its rings, and something else. What yeah. else would we see on hell? Uh, we will see at least Titan, mm-hmm. the, sat- the main satellite. Yes, the largest moon in, in the, the solar, solar system. system. Yes. Well, with Ganymedes. Yes. The two of them are more or less the same size. It would be planets if they were moving around the sun instead of moving around the, uh, the around respective the, planets. The respective planets. Oh, I course. never knew that. That's interesting. Yeah. Would they be major planets or dwarf planets? No, 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 no. They are larger than Mercury. Whoa. Both of them. Both Titan and Ganymedes are larger than Mercury. I shouldn't be that surprised about this because I should know that. But whoa. Wow. It is. It is wow. Perhaps you are able to see other of the largest uh, satellites, Rhea in particular. Mm. But both of them, Titan or Rhea, or Dione you will not be able to distinguish them. You will be see a star, like a point like a star, that perhaps if you're paying attention, that a star is not part of the background and it will be moving around Saturn during yes. the following days. Yes. And Titan's very special because Titan is actually the farthest object in the solar system that we've actually landed on before. Yeah, that was the Huygens probe. Yes. That was part of the Cassini mission that mm. was around, if I remember properly, uh, January 2004, oh, yeah. yeah, 2004, something like that. Yeah, you were very young. I was in and primary school, yes. Yes, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I was starting my blog uh, of astronomy in Spanish while I was doing my PhD in the Canary Islands, yeah. long, long time ago. And we didn't have social media. It was not that common then. What? No, Twitter? No, not Twitter or Facebook. Oh. So we used something that still I recommend people to do, which is 
having a blog and posting the long histories, not in a Facebook page that you are going to lose, mm -hmm. only a tweet, a very short tweet that you are going to lose too, but in a post that has a physical place that you can directly point it to that particular story. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> yes, but when we... Before, actually, before we dropped Huygens onto Titan, we had to plan for many different scenarios, didn't we? So we weren't sure we were going to land on solid ground or in liquid. Or in the beach. Or in the beach. <laughs> <laughs> That'd been pretty nice. Just uh, fall into a hammock and with a nice mango, with a drink with an yeah. umbrella. That's oh. 170 degrees below zero Celsius. Just a balmy summer's day. Yeah. <laughs> because you are saying something very interesting. Titan, it is the only other body so far that we know in the solar system that has a kind of hydrological cycle. I should not say hydrological because it is not water. Mm. It is methane. So it is a methane cycle. Yes. So make sure when it, if you ever go to visit Titan, don't forget the clothes pegs yes. for your nose. But you can find methane in Titan in the three states. Mm. Liquid. Solid and, and gas. gas. And it rains methane over Titan. Wow. There are lakes and perhaps even oceans of liquid methane over the surface of Titan. That was a, one of the best uh, discoveries confirmed by both the Huygens probe and the Cassini mm. spacecraft. We, we should be also talking a bit about it. Yes, well, actually, one of the things I do want to mention about Cassini is all of the great photos it took oh, oh my goodness they are amazing images too. There, there are two that i really like one of the rings where it's this moon small moon da daphne. daphne daphne daphnis daphne oh, daphne you see daphnis. it mm -hmm. moving through the rings and creating these waves or oh, ripples through the rings amazing. Oh, it is not only that it is just this kind of these little moons although they are just some few kilometers i don't think even mm. that kilometers with so they are they are taking care of the particles in the in the rings mm. we don't have to forget that the rings are mainly made by little particles of dust and, and ice, ice. Yes. so depending of the proportion between dust and ice and also the sizes of, of the particles, you are finding different kind of structures in the rings or different colors in the rings. Mm. And that is why Cassini has revealed that there are not only few tens or even hundreds of rings. They might be even some few thousands of rings of wow. different structures, very tiny structures going Wow. One close to the other. Oh my goodness. Well, speaking of the rings, the second photo that I really like of Cassini is the one where you have Saturn transiting the sun with respect from Cassini's view. You can see all of the rings. And by all of the rings, I mean also the very distant ones that only light refracts through, not reflects. So we can't see them from the Earth. You can only see them from behind Saturn. Yeah, and that for me, it is one of the best astronomical photos ever taken. It is Hands really down. amazing image. Yes. Yes. And the we best part, we're both in that photo. We are in the photo. We're, yeah. we're both in that photo. But I, I think we need to take the photo again because I think my eyes were closed. Oh, well, I don't think it is possible because Cassini, you know what happened to Cassini. Yeah. So damn. it was September last year. It collided. I just should have been more prepared. With, with the clouds of Saturn, just uh, because... It was running out of fuel and it was mm. safer to launch it into the planet itself that having around 
that might contaminate some of the moons. And some of them are very, very interesting. Like, so, like for example, Enceladus. Yes. But before jumping into Enceladus, let okay. me just say that in that photo, you don't only see the Earth, you also see the moon. Really? So it's just really a good, good photo that's tried to put you wow. into the cosmic perspective of oh. how tiny we are. And in any case, we can start talking about and discussing the different amazing, wonderful, magnificent images that Cassini have been taken. Mm. And some of them, the, the photos have been put together in little movies showing the rotation of the planets or the rings or mm. how the shapes and the shadows are changing in different satellites. You just have to go and see them in the web, please. We, yeah, we can't do it justice. We, you have to see it for yourself. It is words cannot describe definitely particularly if you have this very awful English accent talking <laughs> uh, sorry if you have this very particular awful Spanish accent talking in English <clears throat> you cannot describe that very well not even I can anyway Enceladus yes that is a little tiny moon not as small as that is it is at 400 500 kilometers in diameter oh that's not too big at all so that is more or less the same size of the British islands. Mm -hmm. But it is very interesting because Cassini discovered geysers of water ah. coming from the south pole of that moon. Yes, I've seen photos of this where it looks like it's got these jets and it looks like it's using these jets to fly through space. <laughs> yeah, not that they're not only one or two, there's some few of those. So mm. it's uh, very, 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 very interesting. And now, we, thanks to the analysis of the Cassini spacecraft, we know that uh, this little moon, that the surface is frozen ice, relatively thick crust of ice, but underneath that, there is a global ocean of liquid water. Ooh, and we, we know this. We know that. It was one oh. of the confirmations from Cassini spacecraft. So, if you think about the other moon, Europa? Europa, around Jupiter, that we have been we think guess, guessing about that. And, mm. and now images from the Hubble Space Telescope, or even recently reanalyzing images from the Voyager mm. spacecraft in the, in the early 80s, yes. are revealing a structure that they might have been geysers coming from Europa. We still don't have the confirmation oh. that there is liquid water beneath the surface of But we ice. have definitive confirmation. We have definitive confirmation for Enceladus. Enceladus. For oh, Enceladus. why are we... What, what? NASA, what are, you, what are you doing, NASA? Do, like, sending... Trying to send a probe to Europa when we know there's water in Enceladus. Well, but also, please send an, another spacecraft to Europa. Send a yes, spacecraft please do. to both of them. <laughs> we, we do, have do, a... Why yeah. not both? <laughs> <laughs> why not both of them? Who knows what or who we can find underneath that crust of ice mm. in Enceladus or perhaps in Europa. So and I'm glad you said who as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. We, will, we will leave that for another episode, I think. Yes, I think. And uh, we promised ourselves we wouldn't talk for that long, but... Uh, we. <laughs> and our main topic was going to be Saturn, and at the end we have been talking about light pollution and Bibit and AO. We, and just, we just let it roll and... Exactly, and we are going that way. Yes, but... But before we finish that, I wanted to say something else regarding Saturn. Saturn is right now in the same position it was when I first identified Saturn 26 or 27 years ago. So you've seen a full... I have seen a full a revolution full oh. of 
Saturn around the Sun. What is telling you about that? You know, I'm starting to have an age, <laughs> and you're still very young. <laughs> but we all know that already. <laughs> and I'm just freshly twenty-one. And I'm almost getting into the forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doubling your age. But I guess uh, this could be our little present to you guys, since it's the end of the season. We will be back. It's the end of the season. Two very long episodes for you once a week. Mm-hmm. Instead of yeah. between two fortnights, one after the other each week. But we will be back in August yes. around National Science Week. We're just taking a, a short hiatus so um, you know, I can finish that thing I have, my, my degree... And and I can take holidays, much needed holidays, much a bit, needed a holidays. bit of break, you... and 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 also well attend some few conferences in Europe in July. It sounds pretty good. So we we will take a small hiatus, but we will be back with season two. You of the scientists, the scientists. Don't forget, in any case, to please send your feedback or your questions yes. or whatever you want to say us. We will try to collect all of those and perhaps. Hopefully, the first episode of the season two, our 13th episode, will mm-hmm. be a compilation of all your questions and comments yes. about all the episodes in the first season. Maybe we'll just have a feedback, feedback. episode. Feedback episode. Just a feedback episode. Yeah, because we have to start containing ourselves. You see, we are getting almost the, the hour recording. I will do a bit of editing oh from my gosh. here and <laughs> it will be less than an hour. But I think it is enough. We, we said that we were going to try to do 20, 30 minutes maximum. And here we are, two episodes of almost an hour each. Woo-hoo! We just can't be stopped. No, we can't. We, get we, can't. we enjoy this that much. Yes. So we will be back in a few months' time. Please send us all of your feedback on Twitter at The Scientists, on our Facebook page, also at The Scientists, and also on our email address if you really want to as well, thescientists at gmail.com rather. And uh, we'll see you soon. Please enjoy the dark skies. Uh, enjoy also nature and the universe above us. And, we'll and enjoy the change of the season, the astronomically. Change. Exactly. And we will be back very soon in August. Till then, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.